As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Bet that you don't want none. If you want some, come and get some. 500, let's lock it in on the next one. Greedy for it, I roll it out. Coming June 26th through the 28th to US 131 Motorsports Park in Martin, Michigan, IHRA will, will host the Sportsman Spectacular, offering tremendous payouts and a little something for everyone, no matter what it is that you race. Stay tuned for more details later in the show. BTE builds products that you can depend on, whether it's a complete power glide transmission, a torque converter for your specific combination, or any related component or bolt-on item. The professionals at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed. Shop online at bteracing.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss Ken Schrader and the Saturday Night Hooker. Joining me, as per usual, we've got producer Mark, we've got Big Jed, and we have a lot to get to this week, guys. It was a, uh, a big weekend of racing. We've talked about that for a couple weeks heading, leading up. Uh, a lot of big stories, a lot to talk about. There, I, I feel like this is, this is going to be a recurring theme, not only due to the number of races going on, but the, for lack of a better term, drama surrounding sportsman drag racing in general and specific big dollar bracket racing it's good for us we got no shortage of content no shortage of content now plenty to talk about on the weekend we had one one hundred thousand dollar winner crown that was troy williams jr i believe we had three fifty thousand dollar winners crowned that included jeff ledford josh ludke and young carson wheeler 
Um, a lot to get to, big races in uh, Louisville, big races in Dallas, Texas. Uh, but I think anytime that we, anytime that there is a fling event on the schedule, I think that takes precedence. I think that's the most prestigious event of the weekend. We'll start there. Jed, you were in Galat. Give us the rundown from Spring Fling, the North Carolina version. Well, it was awesome, Luke. Uh, the guys, you know, they, they were right on that target number, uh, about 385 or so entries each day. Really good. Everyone that was planning to go to the event saw the, the forecast leading up to it. It was absolutely horrible, but it didn't look like any day it was a complete washout. It looked like there was plenty of window to do some racing. As it turned out, that it worked that way or better, and the guys got off to a, to a good start on Tuesday night with the dragster shootout from American Race Cars and, and Race Tech, where both finalists in that shootout get their choice of one or the other, and the quote-unquote loser gets the other dragster chassis, so no loser in those finals. And Red Hot Hunter Patton gets it done again, starts off the week uh, right with the victory over Mike Nahill in the uh, dragster shootout, and Hunter wasn't even going to be in that shootout, and I think really late, uh, Chris Galitti threw him in and got him an opportunity, ends up winning, so it worked out good for those guys. And, uh, Wednesday's $15,000 warm-up. Uh, went off without a, a hitch, maybe a slight sprinkle that held him up just minutes, if anything. And uh, that was won by Jamie Holson, which is a regular at the, the World Footbreak Challenge, footbreaking his Chevelle. He uh, he got the win in the dragster over Tommy Cable. Stop me if you've heard Tommy Cable go into a, a final round in a spring fling a bit. So, I, uh, uh, I touched on that. Uh, I recorded last week's show solo. Guys, don't ever make me do that again. That was awful. Um <laughs> But I did it Thursday Sorry. night, so we had uh, I, I talked a little bit on Hunter and and Jamie Holston's wins, and and yeah, to your point, like you can you can go a little bit deeper on on Jamie's background and success. Uh, I, I know him more as a as a footbreak racer, but obviously he's become a serious threat uh, in that fast blown dragster, uh, you know, as evidenced by uh, the the win last weekend. And uh, Cable was where I was getting to with that. I read in the release, I think that was his eighth fling final. Well, That's I a did ridiculous not know that. number. That is a ridiculous number. I mean, you think last year was the 10th Bristol fling. He's probably been to all of them, but there's been to, there's been what, four or five now at the lot? Uh, yeah. Eight think. finals is a ridiculous number. It really is. Uh, Tommy, for some reason, has a knack for going to finals at spring flings and, uh, and perform well. Even when he doesn't go to the final, he seems to be in the mix somewhat. So just another big final round for him. Good for Jamie getting the win again, uh, traditionally known as a footbreaker, but uh, is doing plenty of top bulb now and getting it done in the dragster. So Luke Thursday uh, comes around and that, that forecast was pretty rough. Um, and it did look like there was going to be some rain at some point. Uh, so considering what we saw coming on Thursday and what was potentially coming the next couple of days afterwards, Peter and Kyle decided to take the Jegs 25 grander and the Wiseco 25 grander from Thursday and Saturday respectively and make it a 50 grander, giving themselves three to four days to complete two races, which was a really good decision on their part uh, based on what we knew was gonna happen and what was uh, potentially gonna happen over the weekend. So 
got that started. It did rain in the middle of the day for several hours, delaying things on Thursday. They got, uh, I think, finished with second round on uh, on Thursday night. Finished that race on Friday. Well, when we wake up Friday, the weather forecast that was 60 to 80% chance for the next couple of days disappears to basically none. Uh, it's going to be sunny Friday and sunny Saturday. So um, I, I think I said sunny Saturday, but it was sunny. And um, it turned out the, the next couple of days are beautiful. Finished the 50 grander mid to, uh, midday to early afternoon on Friday. And uh, that was Josh Ludke getting a win over Mark Siegel. A uh, really good race by those guys. Ludke uh, was uh, double O, take double O. And, uh, you know, I think Siegel was 13, dead one to come up short a few thou. Uh, Josh Ludke just lost his father within the last few weeks to a month. So it was a very emotional win for him. It was his biggest win. We know Josh is a winner. He's, he's won on many, many stages that, that we've covered here on the, the podcast uh, and, and those of you that know Josh know that he wins on a regular basis. So that was really cool to see him get that 50 K win. And especially at such an emotional time in his life. And um, that was a, a fun winter circle with Steve Law, one of the, one of the best dudes at the track. So good for Josh. It was great to see that. And uh, Mark Siegel, another big final round for him. And Luke, that got us to the hundred K uh, I guess they decided to give a time trial because the weather had changed so much. So that pushed us to where we could only get the re-entry round of the 100K done on Friday night. And then we'd just pick back up Saturday morning and continue, which is exactly excuse me, what happened. And uh, we wrapped that thing up about 4.30 Saturday afternoon, which was uh, awesome. And it wrapped up in style. Who would expect anything less out of a spring fling? Um, traveling all-star Troy Williams Jr. Um, is in the final against uh, legendary, most successful sportsman racer in history, uh, Dan Fletcher. Uh, when Fletch, we did our, our rundown, those were both consensus top 10 of all time. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And um, it was uh, Hunter Patton was in the, the semis. So it was the hottest driver in the country versus two of the most accomplished racers that we've ever seen at our level. Um, and those guys finally squared off in the final. And Dan, it was cool. Dan was in his four door Chevelle wagon going 650. Uh, Troy in the, the dragster, of course. And Dan had struggled a couple of rounds prior to that loop with the teens and maybe a 20 on his by run. And he rolled, uh, he rolled four thou out to go three thou red. I was wondering, I caught your post-race uh, semifinal interview when, uh, when Dan basically said, I think I'm going to have to get a little more aggressive. <laughs> yeah. And he had so been hitting it good. Mm-hmm. He'd been hitting it good, but he, he, he struggled there for a couple of rounds, not hitting his target. So he rolled him fourth out. He goes three thou red, dead zero, legged it through the finish line. Um, uh, was was set up for a one pack if he just doesn't touch it. But you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, and, and especially in this business. But Troy was double oh eight, like Troy does, and we know Troy can run the dial in. So he was going to be extremely hard to handle. Uh, he was uh, he was driving really really good all day, making great decisions, and. Um, ended up netting him another huge big win on a big stage, $100,000 payday. 
really cool winter circle with Troy and uh, that wrapped up the event and I think pretty much most of the crowd had filed out of there by six o'clock Saturday evening heading home. Uh, the only other business of note was that Hunter Patton was named the uh, Todd's Extreme MVP award where they get that beautiful Simpson Devil Ray helmet that's painted by Todd's Extreme. It's a beautiful paint job with the Spring Fling logo and and uh, they get a thousand dollar check to go along with that. So uh, Hunter Red Hot had a really good weekend with the Dragster chassis shootout win and uh, certainly going deep in the rounds on other days and worked out really good for him. And uh, all in all, just another very successful spring fling event by the guys with great decisions made from, from Peter and Kyle. First off, I, I love a lot of things about the fling. My favorite aspect of it might be the MVP award. Like that's the coolest thing ever. Yeah. I don't think to this point, I mean, they've only been doing that a few years. I don't think that anyone has multiple MVP awards yet, do they? They do not. So that's going to be really special. Somebody's going to do that at some point. It's fitting that Hunter wins this one because he's certainly the MVP of 2020 to this point. Like yeah, one no question, doubt. right? And he just no continues doubt. that on, on arguably uh, one of, if not the uh, biggest stages in, in Big Dollar Bracket Racing, if not sportsman racing in general. Who were the other um, players, so to speak? Like who else was, was in consideration for the MVP as it wound down? Well, I know Jamie Holston was in consideration. Um, I don't get a vote in that but i do hear some talk behind the whoa, scenes whoa. See, we we got to have a talk with peter and kyle you've got a, you've got to, <laughs> don't get a vote i mean come on yeah with all due respect to peter and kyle they know how much of a homer i am so if there was anybody <laughs> there from alabama, from alabama? <laughs> if there was anybody there from alabama i would have picked them i mean it didn't matter if they went around you know we did really good burnouts guys are you sure he's not the mvp bones went four rounds at louisville can he get it <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> Exactly. So uh, I know uh, your late round uh, finishers. I, uh, Jeff Taylor was, um, I think, being considered because he had put together quite a few win lights over the weekend. Um, again, Jamie Holston. So um, typical guys that were going late in the rounds that, that had that over multiple days. But uh, Hunter did turn out to be the most deserving. And it, it was it was a fitting way to wrap up the weekend with such a star-studded final round for that 100K, and, and then, the, you know, again, the, the guy that everybody's talking about right now winning the MVP, so, um, the, you know, the rich get richer type atmosphere can can tend to wear on some people, but uh, as a innocent bystander holding a microphone, I loved it. Uh, I thought it was thought it was really cool that it's such a huge stage, and the, the, the best, the, the cream did rise to the top. No, I, I I get that, you know, winner's fatigue, but that's nothing new. I mean, it's a yeah. different name, a different face, but that's been the same for John LaBeouf Jr., for Troy Williams Jr., for Scotty, to, for Peter, you know, I mean, on down the line, like whoever yeah. is the, the, the don for Kenny Underwood, the, the dominant face in, in that moment. And I just circle back on, on Troy's accomplishment. I know I don't spend a ton of time on this because – we've hashed this over before but if you're going to talk forget talent level just talk accomplishments and just talk big dollar bracket racing i think if you say like who is the most accomplished big dollar bracket racer ever i i think it's if it's not troy it's scotty it's kenny underwood 
I don't know that the list goes beyond that. Like it's one of those three, right? Well, it's got to be, but you know, you also think about the guy that grew up in the same house as Troy. I mean, his brother, the, true, true. the, the talent that those two have inside of that, that family is, is really, it's amazing what they've accomplished. And you might not have got to see much of the race, Luke, or even the winter circle interview, but I made mention of it that Troy did it so many ways. He had every tool in the toolbox that he needed to, to go out and accomplish that, that day, you know, the hard sprays and hard drops and, and making just good solid runs with holding and whatever else he needed to do or just beating his opponent straight up. But, you know, he had every trick and, and he's just got so many tools and he's no, you know, Troy, I don't know if you heard Peter talking about team has been versus team young gun. I did. That was brilliant. Yes. Yeah, he was, he was building that up. And of course, Troy would be on team has been just due to age, not talent level, of course, or accomplishments, but to, at his age, as long as he's been doing it to still not only Troy, not only has those tools, he still invents some of the tools mm-hmm. that, that the younger generation will use for years and decades to come. So uh, that just uh, again a testament to Troy's ability level. Well said, well said. One of the uh, the legends of our sport, and it's funny because usually you say legend, and that that connotates has been Troy. Obviously, anything but. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I do I do like the the has been to uh, to Young Gun reference. That's it's a good way to frame things. Uh, for for what it's worth, like you said, Troy. Uh, has been strictly due to age. I feel like I would be on the has been list, not necessarily due to age, just more <laughs> due to skill level at this point. <laughs> so yeah, like we're, we're in the same boat. So I got to root for him. Um, yeah. All right. So let's, let's turn the page, close the book on Galat and we'll move to the, the Derby city 50 K at uh, Ohio Valley raceway in Louisville. And let's start first with the, the results on the track. Um, Two 10-granders sandwiching a 50-grander. The, the big result of the 50-grander was won by Jeff Ledford, defeated Scotty Richardson. Um, two, I don't know, like, they got to be top 50. You know, Scotty, top two. Um, but, but Ledford, certainly a very illustrious career as well. Um, so Ledford wins the 50 over Scotty. The two 10s sandwiching it. Uh, Rob Cropfield and Donnie Scalf were the winners uh, over at Doug Burke and Chris Johnson, respectively. Cropfeld in... Uh, well, I can give him, I can, he's got the coolest Vega wagon in the country. I can't say yeah. with the right mind, he's got the coolest Vega in the country anymore. Um, but yeah, the coolest Vega wagon in the country. And Donnie Scalf, did you see a picture of the car that Donnie Scalf's driving? I did not. It's like a Beamer convertible. I don't know my Mercedes. Oh, nice. You don't see race cars like this. And I, I think I'm on the fence as to whether it's the coolest car at the track or it's just kind of different. It's both. It's really neat. Like you just don't see it very often. I pull it up and I'm like, that's not the car that you expect to see winning a 10. And um, it's, it's just cool to see in kind of a cookie cutter world, something different. So that was neat. Um, Yeah. Sounds very cool. uh, Unfortunately, like that's not the story um, from Louisville. And I wasn't, I wasn't sure. I assumed when I heard the story that it was all anyone would be talking about and, and that we would have to address it on the podcast. It, it hasn't gotten near as much traction as I thought. And I'm not, I, I, I don't completely understand why, but let's, let's walk through it first and foremost. Um, let's set the stage a little bit. So I think it goes without saying, but we come into the weekend 
and I, I addressed this on, on last week's show, cheating accus accusations galore. The, the bracket racing world is on edge to say the least, right? They're, they're, it's, it's, a, it's a, a feeling of, um, I don't know like, what the right word is, a anxiety, mistrust, un uncertainty that we probably haven't felt in two decades, right? But it definitely was back last week and magnified with social media. Yeah. So Friday, the first day of this event, and again, I, I wasn't there. I've talked to uh, enough people close to this. I feel like I have a pretty good grasp on it, but keep in mind that I was not there, so I'm not living it firsthand. But essentially, Friday, accusations abound, right? There is, there is uh, a buzz around the racetrack that there is stuff going on, and, and everybody's just on edge about it, right? Mm -hmm. And perhaps it was a, a, a vocal minority, I don't know, but lots of discussion between participants and staff, and this is what's going on, and who's doing it, and this is what we need to look for, and this is what we need to rule out. Well, out of that discussion, the, for whatever reason, the consensus kind of becomes, hey, we need to everybody needs to disconnect the, the drive shaft sensors on their, on their data loggers because with the drive shaft sensors not hooked up, you can't have any of this funny business. And that kind of becomes the consensus of the track. So uh, the, the promoters, um, which is, it's Tyler Bohannon, it's Brian Whitworth, um, essentially implement a rule Saturday morning, which is the day of the 50, um, that we have to, everyone has to disconnect their uh, drive shaft sensors. And this is obviously something that wasn't on the flyer, was adopted, you know, midway through, um, just before the start of the 50 grand or midway through the event, but prior to the 50 itself. So <clears throat> that's the, 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 the gist of it. And again, <laughs> if I circle back a little bit, when, when, when I first heard the story, I thought it would lead our show. Like I was told about it by some racers there and I'm like, oh my God, this is going to be huge. It hasn't blown up. I'm not real sure why. And maybe it's because it's not as important as I think. We talked about this, Jed. Like we, we questioned yeah. whether or not we should even talk about this. Yeah. And let me just be clear up front. Our intention in bringing this up is not to call out the event promoters. Okay. It's, uh, although I personally, and we'll, I'll get into this, I believe that they made a poor decision. Nor is it my intention to draw a negative attention to the racer in question, right? Um, we debated whether or not to, to get into this because as we've discussed before, we're not journalists. Like we're not here to break news. Wait, we're opinionists. And yeah. the reason that I wanted to bring this up because I feel like it's important, I feel like it needs to be addressed, is so that as a community, the bracket racing world, we can wrap our heads around this in an effort to prevent something like this from happening again. So with that in mind, let me pick back up. Where is that in the story? So Saturday morning of the 50, um, the, the rule is implemented. We're going to unplug drive shaft sensors. And they make several announcements to, to let the competitors know. They send out a text alert to let the competitors know. Uh, and by and large, like the feedback that I got from the track is that 95 plus percent of the competitors were fully aware, hey, this is the deal and, and happy to abide by it, right? So fast forward from there to the semifinals of the 50. It is Jeff Ledford, the aforementioned winner. Scotty Richardson, who needs no introduction. Blake Fuquay, um, Mike's son, Blake, who is obviously making a, a, a name for himself behind the wheel. 
and a, a local, very successful, but relatively unheralded uh, and unknown nationally racer by the name of Dave Mascaro. And at four cars left, spot check time, right? So basically, I was told the only thing we're checking is just to make sure everybody's abiding by the rule that the drive shaft sensor is disconnected, right? And uh, voila, as you might have inferred at this point, uh, they find the drive shaft sensor plugged in on Dave Mascaro's car. Mascaro's argument is um, basically he didn't know that he needed to disconnect it. Okay, never heard an announcement was parked outside the gate. Um, PA doesn't reach, never signed up for text alerts, was never made aware of it, right? And would have happily disconnected it had he been aware of it. So at this point, there's obviously some commotion, there is some confusion. What's going to happen next? Well, at some point, the, the racers remaining, including Dave Mascaro, agree, have a, have a discussion about what to do with the purse and agree to uh, a split, you know, obviously with more money to the, to the runner-up and, and finalists, but an increased over the, the advertised purse to the semis. And as this discussion goes on, as the situation builds, as the uncertainty around, okay, what are we going to do about this rules violation increases, my understanding is that the other three competitors went to race promoters and says, hey, look, whatever you guys decide to do, if you're going to disqualify him, we're fine with him getting the, it was $7,500 to semi, right? Mm -hmm. He gets his money no matter what, which is cool, right? So at this point, <laughs> my understanding is that no official decision was made. Like Dave Mascaro wasn't officially disqualified from this event. Although depending on who you talk to, it seems to have been inferred. It seems as though his disqualification was uh, eminent basically. And I, th I think that's really important, right? Because uh, all indications are, he w I think it's very important to note that he was not technically disqualified although all indications are he would have been disqualified had it gotten to that point. Essentially, Mascaro at some point volunteered to bow out, essentially. Like, look, I'm, I'm not going to win this argument. I'm going back to the trailer. And he was paired on the ladder with Jeff Ledford. So Ledford has a solo into the final. A little bit more on, on that decision for, for Dave to essentially kind of bow out prior to disqualification later. We're not done with that part of the conversation. In the end, as I said before, uh, Ledford wins the 50 over um, Scotty. And I guess this is relevant. Like it's not necessarily relevant, but it just makes you feel even worse for Dave Mascaro because the way that this actually shook down, um, Jeff Ledford has the, the, the single at three cars. He's in the Corvette Roadster. They did end up winning and it's fast. I assume the track's set for a long time. Um, given the situation and uh, Ledford had to by the accounts that I was told had to abort the run like got crossed up would have had a hard time getting down the track and then in the final I believe Scotty's 30 on the tree like if you just take that in a vacuum pretty good chance Dave Mascara wins the event if he has the opportunity to stage right you got to like his odds at least mm -hmm. so there's the, the the basics okay this is my best understanding of what happened now for the opinions, now for the fallout. fallout. Jed, we've discussed this briefly. I, 
I would love for you to take the side to argue on behalf of disqualifying Dave Mascaro because I want to take the other side. But I do think whether you do or not, <laughs> wherever you fall on this, I, I think I want to represent both sides because I think there is an argument to be made here. I, re, let's say this. I'll say that I, I think it is a very poor decision. I think it's a travesty that Mascaro was disqualified. But I think reasonable minds could disagree. Yeah. Um, so... Obviously, Luke, I understand what caused their announcement, their text alert. I get it. That's the last thing you need at your event is that kind of discussion going on in the pits uh, with the, the time and money that's invested in the, to get into these things and, and certainly what's at stake for the promoters. So you can't have that. You have to take action. So I, I applaud them for an attempt to make sure that they had everyone feeling like it was a fair and level playing field. Um, so you make the announcement, you, you feel like you've done everything you can to get the word out. However, there, was, there were steps missed in making sure that everyone understood, obviously. Um, so you gotta do it, you gotta, you gotta DQ him, you gotta, you got to put on your, you know, your promoter hat and do what you feel is best for fairness of the event, regardless of who it is and the circumstances surrounding it. So um, one could argue that they did the right thing, but I can't, <laughs> I can't take that side, Luke. Okay. Okay. No, I, I'm with you. And I think that that's a, a viable, like you can go down that path. And, and like I say, if, if someone listening to this believes that, like, okay, you know, I, I'll argue with you, but it doesn't mean you're stupid. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So my argument against, and, and I get in this climate with all of these accusations that I get feeling the need that something has to be done. I think the way that it was, the, what they decided to do and what the rule that they decided to implement, in my opinion, is very misguided. Uh, basically, I think it's a dumb rule in the first place. A, I, I can't say it's unprecedented. I know that the, the Great American Series, Britain Galen's races, they implement a similar rule. Like everyone has to have a drive shaft sensor disconnected. That, I believe, is the only event that I've been to that I know of that in, that enforce that regularly. And there's outside of that, not really any precedent for this. Like if you are going to lean on even, and not to say that the NHRA rule book is the gospel of, of big dollar bracket racing by any means, because we know that it's not, but this is an NHRA track. Like if you're going to lean on that, um, there is nothing in the NHRA rule book that, that prohibits the use of data recorders or specifically drive shift sensors. Like I'll read directly from it. We're looking at, for your notes, section 4A, page seven, um, one tachometer is allowed, drive shaft sensor may be connected to either the tachometer or the data recorder, but not both. It must be a single wire, no splices, easily traceable. Uh, in the same section, data recorder, data recorders are permitted in advanced ET, super pro and pro only. Data recorders, except for playback type tachometers are prohibited in other ET classes, like um, your sportsman street type classes. So. No precedence for this in the NHRA rulebook. Again, you make the rules. As a bracket race promoter, you make whatever rules you want to make. Um, my argument here is that I know that there are racers listening. This will say, well, 
the drive shaft sensor can be manipulated in a way that creates a competitive advantage. And is that true? Is that possible? Yeah, probably so. Like, I'm not going to be naive enough to say that there is not a way to do something with that information above and beyond its intended use from whether it be race pack, autometer, et cetera, right? Yeah. My argument there, like, can a drive shaft sensor be manipulated in a way that creates a competitive advantage? Sure, I'm sure it can. Can a delay box be manipulated in a way that creates a competitive advantage? Can an ignition box? Can a tachometer? Like, none of that stuff is designed to be used in a way that, that is quote unquote cheating or it creates a competitive advantage. If you get creative enough, if you're smart enough, I'm sure you could use all of it to cheat, to create a competitive advantage. My point is, okay, the, the rule is we got to unplug drive shaft sensors. Like, well, you can't make everybody unplug their delay box and their tack and their ignition box. Like, and I think any of it could be used by the, the, the correct minded person, or I guess that'd be the wrong way to put it, the, the incorrect minded person, right? <laughs> yeah, it yeah. could be used in a, in, a, in a less than ethical way. I would guess that, I don't know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 30% at minimum of the field at that race, at the average dollar bracket race, have data recorders of some sort. And all of which, if they don't have a, a drive shaft sensor, certainly have the uh, capability to have a drive shaft sensor. And I would argue that of those competitors, 99.9% .9 of those are being used exactly as manufactured. There's no real time on track benefit. It's just a tool to help tune your car. Like it's not, it's not a red flag. It's not a smoking gun by any, any stretch of the imagination. So number one, I think it's a dumb rule. Number two, you, I don't, <laughs> I guess maybe there's a situation where you could justify this, but I would think a by and large, like a, just a good rule of thumb is that you don't create new rules midway through, like you, in middle of an event, like you just kind of roll with what you got. And on, it, on your, on your showcase day at that, like not just the middle, it, right. it was on the day that your showcase event was happening. And if you do decide, Hey, we've got to implement this, this is an issue. I think it goes without saying like, you've got to make sure that everyone is aware of that, particularly if as the race director, you're prepared to dig in your heels on it and, and, and go through with the disqualification. Right. So I don't, there's a lot of different ways to do that. Like you could print off whatever, I think there's 300 cars. I think you, you could print off 300 pieces of paper and hand them out with every time slip you know, during time trials, you could uh, sign at the head of staging. Like there's a, a number of ways to do it above and beyond simply making an announcement, sending a text alert. Like you just have to do everything in your power to try to reach everyone. Right. And again, I, I, I'm confident that they reached 95% and it just so happened that one that they didn't, mm. you know, I mean, it's, it's such a, a random scenario that what happened happened, but the fact is it, it happened. And when it got to that point, I don't, envy the position that the promoters are put in in the semifinal round right you get to that point and go oh god what do we do mm. but i would argue that it's completely self-induced right like you're the one that created the rule that i i would argue shouldn't be a rule in the first place and implemented it midway through the race right and even then like i think you get to that point like forget all of that we get to the point like this is the rule we put in place we're in the semifinals, we find this, oh, what happens next? Like, I still think at that point, it could have been handled better. I think it's the wrong call and not because it cost a racer. 
an honest racer in my opinion. Um, and again, like I said last week, I will vouch for no one, but I, Dave Mascaro wasn't doing anything that again, like anybody with a data recorder could do in, in my opinion. So, and that was actually like traced down even, but forget, we'll go a little bit deeper. So I think it's the wrong call, not because it, it cost him what may well be the biggest opportunity of his racing career. The dude's have four cars and a 50 grander. Like Jed, you've been racing at a high level for a long time. How many times have you staged in the semifinals of a race that paid $50,000 or more to win? Well, if you count all of them, Luke, it's none. Okay, point taken. Like, and, and you've been doing this how long? Since 1984. Okay, the, these opportunities are rare. And so I think it's a wrong call, not because we, we robbed Dave Mascara of this opportunity, not because um, he, it may have cost him what? I don't know what the winner and runner-up person ended up being. It, it, it's, easy, it, it's pretty easy to fathom that there was another $20,000 plus on the table. That doesn't bother me as much as the fact that Dave Mascaro now is labeled a cheater. Like he, not technically, but essentially got kicked out, disqualified from a $50,000 win race in the semifinals. I mean, there's so many rampant rumors. This guy's cheating, that guy's cheating. Like here's a dude that I think most of us could agree didn't really do anything wrong. And he got disqualified for cheating. Like he's going to have to deal with that forever. Yeah, and, and Luke, I don't want to interrupt, but you talk about it might, might have cost him 20K or more. Well, if you're willing to eliminate someone from the program right there for quote unquote illegal devices, it has to cost them the 7,500 that they were also going to win. I know the racers went to him and said, hey, it's fine to give it, but you can't, if you're, if you're going to eliminate someone right there, you don't even pay them. It can't go both ways. I, I do. It can't. Yeah. I'm sorry. 100%. No, that's a, that's a really good point that uh, it, it kind of left out. You're, you're right. Now, I guess my, my takeaway from this is I would hate to see like, whatever, the, there's, there's all this talk about cheaters. Like I would hate to say, to see two racers in the final round of this race that were like, everyone assumes these are the guys that are cheating like the freaking whatever they're using to cheat falls out on the starting line in the final i would hate that i would feel cheated as a racer right yeah i would hate that less than i hate this essentially like i would rather feel cheated a hundred times over than to be falsely convicted once not falsely accused like anybody that wins enough gets falsely accused davis carroll got convicted like he essentially he had to forfeit. So let me circle back to that point in time, that, that semifinal where, okay, the situation is what it is. And okay, the drive shaft sensor's hooked up. Oh God, what do we do? At that point, and I said this same thing, this is now what, 12, 15 years ago when the, the mess at Tri-State at the, at uh, the Jegs US Open event, right? Yes. Similar, it's kind of a similar situation. Uh, a racer was torn down, random teardowns, like eight or less cars remaining. And they didn't necessarily, they, they threw them out on a technicality, basically, because they saw a bunch of stuff that apparent, the rumor was they saw a bunch of stuff they didn't understand. And they threw them out for having a, a tack wire hooked to delay box. And it was actually very similar because he got the round money, if I remember correctly, and was not allowed to, to finish the race. Um, and so I said like this, this same thing then, and I feel like this is the way to handle these situations is 
this you, you you've got this 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 discrepancy this this obvious um, breakage of the rule that you put in place right for whatever whatever reasons are given I think the way to handle this is you you gather the four drivers and say guys look here's the deal we we said earlier today everyone had to disconnect the drive, drive, your drive shaft sensors I know that you three guys heard that I appreciate you disconnecting your sensors Dave didn't get the message and his drive shaft sensor is connected okay we traced it I don't think he's using it in any way other than what is intended here's what we're gonna do Dave you're gonna disconnect that sensor we're gonna finish this race now you over here my, my official over here whatever my, my staging lane guy my tower crew whatever you are gonna get on this moped and you are gonna follow Dave's car wherever he goes the rest of this race until he's out of this race or wins the race Dave you're not to touch this car other than to fuel it and check the tires right you my official is gonna stay with this car and make sure that nothing's touched whenever your day is done we are gonna do an exhaustive teardown and we're gonna to, to, to accomplish one of two things either to clear your name so that everyone knows that you're up to no wrongdoing or perhaps to find that in fact there is something wrong and not only that there is but to determine exactly what and how so that we can prevent it in the future that's what should have been done at tri-state 12 15 years ago right one way that i have no idea what the outcome would have been but that way one way or another we have answers and we have a, a clear description of what's going on that's in my opinion uh the way to handle this yeah i couldn't agree more luke and i don't know much about cheating i haven't studied these type things and exactly how people do it if they're doing it but i would assume and i think it's a fair assumption that if you unplug the drive shaft and that car runs anywhere close to what it has done all day long I think it would be a fair assumption that it was not controlling any function on the car other than just reporting. I think it would have to do something different for that to to come into play. Now, I tend to agree. Like I'm not a I'm not an expert on cheating, whether you want to believe that or not. So I don't I don't know how you would go about it, but I I I have a fair. Um, background in data acquisition and I know that like the, these things typically come with a, a four magnet drive shaft collar and simply to get an accurate reading of wheel speed on the starting line I run an eight magnet collar just because there's more pulses like it gives you more idea of what's going on and when I look at it it's not precise enough to tell a whole lot about what happened after the fact much less in real time like I just I think if you were going to cheat, there would be a better way to do it than a drive shaft sensor in general. But again, like I've never gone down that road, but that's kind of my take. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, continue. So no, I mean, that's all I was going to say is I, I, I think that there you have to consider in all factors, you got to take a guy's history and, and what you know to be his level of integrity into play you got to lean on your gut right there it's dave mascaro um he was outside the gate that's where he was parked there is no pa it's confirmed he did not sign up for your text alert it is a very likely scenario that he didn't know to unplug it and 
he wouldn't have come to the semis of a 50 grander in a, a race that has a rule that you can't have it plugged up. He wouldn't have had it plugged up. So common sense has to come into play here. And I understand going by your rules, but the way this rule was put in the, into the event, you have to use a little bit of common sense here. Yeah, to your point, I mean, Dave's in a, in a drag strip. So the, the, the drive shaft is in plain view. Like it's, if, if you were, if you were going to do something at that point, like you would hide it better than that, I would think. Right. Yeah. And, and just an ironic side note for what it's worth, because like I say, I've, I've talked to most of the parties involved and, and I, and I know the situation. So um, what Dave's using was a, the Automator Ultimate DL tachometer, which actually I'm, I'm very familiar with. It's basically, it's a very primitive data logger. It is, it looks like a tachometer and it, um, it does engine RPM, drive shaft RPM, uh, 102 sensor and one pressure sensor. It's a cost effective, you know, uh, kind of a introductory to, to data logger, right? And I think the, the immediate reaction to that is, wait a second, he's got a drive shaft sensor that's wired right into the tack because we're thinking back to the dirty, the dirty dozen, right? And like that tack display, oh my God, right? What, what in the world's going on here? Well, the way that that thing is designed, you can't, you can, you can display drive shaft RPM on the face of the tack post run. Like you can watch exactly what it did on the tack. Not that it's, it's not nearly again, precise enough to tell you much of anything, but you can do that. You cannot do that in real time. Like when, when the ignition is on, when the, when, the, when it is running, you cannot bring up the drive shaft portion of that. So the idea that you can even monitor down the, that down track with that setup is not true. Uh, ironically, on the contrary, the more popular, uh, you know, digital dashes, whether it's a, a race pack, I believe the IQ3 does this. I know that my autometer LCD has the opportunity. Like I could put the drive shaft RPM on the screen in front of me. Again, I don't think it's accurate enough to do anything. And I think it moves far too fast to, to process anything yeah. in real time, but I could do that. And Dave Mascaro can't. So I just, anyhow, back to what I think is, if you're arguing the other side of this, I think the, the, the source of pushback is, okay, well, if he wasn't doing anything wrong, like if that was me, I'd have burned down the damn tower. Like why did, why did Dave throw in the towel, so to speak? Like why didn't he make them throw him out if that's the way that this was gonna go? And admittedly, like that side of this is a little bit more tricky, right? Two things that I'll say in, in, in Dave Mascaro's defense here. At some point, and just again, think about the climate that we're in in racing and how much it seems like most racers or perhaps it's a vocal minority, but they are a very vocal minority is on a, a witch hunt right now. Like we're gonna find somebody. And think about just the way that racing works. At some point, I think it's very realistic to think that this gets ugly enough that the mob mentality takes over. And at that point, I don't care if it's Dave Mascara, I don't care who it is, that we all could agree that that person in the eyes of the, the jury, so to speak, is guilty until proven innocent, right? Yeah. As that rolls up. And those of you that were there, I was not, but I've heard enough stories to know, to relive, I think it was 99 at Moroso, the, the Rich Maddie incident. And Maddie, like, sort of, 
refuse teardown. And here, I'm not going to say that that car wasn't dirty. Like, I don't know. But the point is that the situation got so bad that at some point, I think that they feared for their safety and loaded up and got out of town, right? Like they never got through the teardown. And the common, common consensus there is, well, they didn't want anybody to know what they had. And perhaps that's true. But I think it's legitimate, you know, that I don't, I, it is not safe to be here right now. And I don't know that this situation, it certainly didn't escalate to that level, but it's not hard to draw that line. And the other side of this, like, is just the financial aspect. And we talked earlier about how bizarre this, this kind of played out, that he, he did walk away with the, the semifinal split, in my understanding, $7,500. Well, just think about that for a second. $7,500 is a lot of money. And I could, I, I have not talked to Dave about this specifically, but I think it's very realistic to think that his interpretation was, okay, as this escalated, as this goes on, I think it's, it, it's fair to think that he assumed, look, this is not going my way. Like I'm being wronged. I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm not in the wrong here, but I do not think they are going to let me stage for the semifinal round. And if I fight loud enough, I may not get a dime when they throw me out. If I go quietly, I'm going to get 7,500 bucks. Like, if that's the logic, I'm not saying that it was, I could see it. I'm not sure that I agree with it. And, and removed from the moment, I don't know if they would do it again, but I could see thinking that way. My point is, that's a decision that Dave Mascaro or, nor anyone else should ever have to make. Takeaways yeah. from this, Jed, well uh, as, as you look at this in kind of a, a helicopter view, as a whole, for me, takeaway as a whole, I feel like the racing community just needs to take a deep breath, take a step back and think about the ramifications of these accusations. Because I, I think it's impossible to deny that this situation is not a direct result of all this upheaval of there, there are people doing things wrong and by God, we got to find them, right? I'm not naive enough to say that there mm -hmm. is zero cheating going on in, in the world of sportsman drag racing. But I would argue that if it is happening on any level, and again, I'm not necessarily even convinced of that, but if it is, I would be willing to bet a lot of money that it is very isolated. In other words, I don't think if there is cheating, I do not believe it is near as rampant as many seem to want to believe. And as I said before, I would rather be cheated than falsely convicted. I'd rather be cheated a hundred times over. But that's not a zero-sum game. Like, we deserve both. You deserve to be able to go to the racetrack and feel as though you've got as fair a shake as anybody and that you are not going to be kicked out for not necessarily doing anything wrong, right? And I, I, I'm going to circle back. I said this last week. We need in, in, in big dollar bracket racing, we need uniform rules. We need to get together and decide, okay, this is, uh, this is what's accepted and this, isn't, this is what is not. We need an objective official or a group of officials that know what they're looking at to enforce said rules. And as I said last week, I think there is a hell of an opportunity here for the entrepreneur out there. Like this could be a cottage industry. If you can get a team of three tech guys together with as much money as in, as in uh, big dollar bracket racing right now, I could almost guarantee that if you could do a good job, you would be hired at a lot of races and make a pretty good living, right? We need 
proactive promoters who are, yeah. it's a fine line between being willing to listen, because obviously you have to listen to racer input, be willing to listen, but not easily influenced. And again, like I said in the intro, like my, my goal in using this as an example and shedding light on this situation is not to run Tyler and Brian into the ground by any means. Like I have zero doubt that they mean well, they did the best that they could do, right? It's a very difficult situation. I also think removed from it now, it's fairly obvious that they were influenced by the opinion, by the, the, by the racers, right? It, to make decisions that I think you could question in, 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 in retrospect. The point is we need a plan coming in. Like this is how enforcement's going to be handled. These are the rules. This is how we're gonna enforce it. And these are the consequences. Yeah, look, I agree with that take 100%. And especially the part where, you know, it wasn't intended to tear down Tyler and Brian. It's okay for the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast to say, this is what happened. And we feel like it was the incorrect call. Uh, it's not tearing those guys down. They did a phenomenal job putting this event together, promoted it well, and did what they thought was best for everyone involved, not protecting themselves from a money standpoint or any of that. They felt like they were protecting the integrity of the event based on the, the, the rule that they put in place on that day. So, you know, good, good effort by those guys to try to make sure that the field was level and fair. Um, and I wouldn't have zero issue going to an event of theirs. The next one they put on, if, if it fit my schedule and it worked out, no doubt in my mind, they've learned from all of this. And they, those are two smart, talented young men that will be very well prepared the next time around. And, and they'll eliminate any of these controversies from their next event. And the next time it will be clear what you can and can't have, I'm sure they've learned a valuable lesson and they will be able to stand on knowing that they communicated that rule or those rulings very very clearly to the racers and and that will give them the ground to stand on uh, this one i feel like they missed on it but again i wouldn't have a problem at all going to their next race because I, I know those guys will correct this and and hopefully you know help everyone get better not just themselves uh, i think they uh they're they're too young energetic guys in our sport that are on the cutting edge of what's good and what's bad for the sport they they're right there they understand uh, how to make this thing go and they pack the place out there's no doubt in my mind they'll pack the place out again the next time and and make sure that they have these kind of situations covered so uh, i think you nailed it with your take on it um I feel exactly the same as you do, but again, as you said, uh, two good guys, don't want to tear them down, and uh, definitely, first and foremost, or most important to me is that I feel like Dave Mascaro's name needs to be cleared, because he was, he was not found guilty of anything other than something that he had no idea the rule was, so make sure that people listening know that this guy didn't do anything wrong and 
Tyler and, and Brian uh, will learn from it and they'll put on great events for probably years to come. Yeah, I agree on all fronts. And, and that's, that's my belief too. And I feel like, I feel like such a, a negative Nancy on some of this stuff. Like we, we do get messages from listeners, like just be positive. And I want to be like, I, I'm not, and Brian and Tyler, like shouldn't be, shouldn't be feel singled out. Like we've been critical of about every big dollar promoter. Like we've, we've been critical of SFG. We've been critical of Pete and Kyle at times. We've been critical of Britain Galen. Like, and I, that's not who I want to be. Right. But I just feel like, there are yeah. times when it's our responsibility to not necessarily call anything out, but to try to, to shed light on things in an effort to make our sport a little bit better. And that's the goal of this conversation. Let's switch yeah, gears. We're the people's podcast, Luke. <laughs> that's what we podcast. are. What's, what's Jalen? They, they can we read through our people, bull crap. <laughs> we give the people what they if, want. If, <laughs> <laughs> if we were on here BSing everyone, they, they'll see right through it or listen right through it. So our tens of listeners deserve <laughs> to hear exactly how we feel. We appreciate you both. No, yeah. and I feel like we've grown in that regard in, in what we yeah. do. I feel like me personally, the, the first year of this, I was like, man, just make sure you don't piss anybody off. Well, you yeah. can't. You, you don't ever say anything if you're worried about that. Like yeah. at some point, the reason that you're here is to share your opinion. Um, Okay, so Galat, check. Louisville, check. It's another 50 grander. Um, CP, uh, 50 grander at Texas Motorplex. Sandwiched, I think, was going to be by 10s, and I think some rain got uh, a combination similar to Galat. One ended up being a 20 grander. Let's run through that briefly, because we had a little bit more drama there, right? Yeah, there was uh, there was quite a bit of drama surrounding that one. That's our buddy Cody Pollage, uh, CP Promotions, and I don't I don't know. He got involved in some calls that people were viewing one way or another, um, but quickly uh, run down from the results. Um, of course, Johnny Ezel, it's a, it's a big race in Texas. So Johnny went over to get paid, get his check for clocking in, got the 10 K uh, over Kendall little and five uh, K the five K no box race same day. Uh, another guy that goes and clocks in and get his paycheck on a regular basis was Jake Howard. Uh, Jake always in the middle of those big no box races out there. Uh, the the 20K on the last day was John Alonzo over Rodney Costo and uh, Mad Max McLaughlin got the win in no box. And then the big day was in the middle of that. And that was uh, Case and Wheeler getting a win over Josh Burrow. Uh, a couple of tough competitors and, and Josh, you know, another, another big final round for him. Uh, done quite well in the family truckster. A couple uh, of young guns there too. Yes. And the 12, uh, 12, five, no box race was Chad Sandlin over Brandon Umberger. And I didn't mention the runner up in either of the other no box races because that was the same guy. Brandon Umberger runnered up every no box race they had, both the five wow. and the 12 and a half K drove out from, uh, Western Colorado at that loop. So not a real easy ride to the motorplex, but uh, shows a lot of confidence in himself. Took the bean and uh, rode it all the way across over to Texas and got that runner up. So great job by uh, by my buddy, Brandon Umberger. But Luke, showed up and showed out, didn't he? Yes, he did. So the, the controversy, well, this really wasn't controversy on this part. The, the, the corn dog stand um, yes. the, the, tell us about the corn dog stand. <laughs> the flag, uh, the flag on the corn dog stand was standing loud and proud and tall, and um, got into the power lines. 
and uh, caused a major major outage there for them. I think that put them down for about an hour. So those are the type of things you don't plan for as a promoter and uh, hopefully never have to again. So hate that for Cody, but um, they uh, they had a little incident on the racetrack. The um, the track, oh shoot, I think it was the sprayer. Track sprayer, I think, caught on fire. Uh, you probably seen see pictures that of that on, okay. on social media. I, yeah, um, I, I, I would assume, well, obviously it's mixed with, with alcohol. That's flammable. I get, I'd assume yeah. DHT is flammable. I bet it is. Perhaps. Uh, based Probably. on the picture I saw, it is. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was. Uh, it was quite a scene uh, out on the racetrack. So power outages and fires, but uh, Cody would take those all day, every day over the challenge that they had in the timing system. And I don't even think it was a timing system issue. The CompuLink system, those are familiar with it. If the starter flips the switch to reset at a certain point where the the previous pair has taken off, um, it clips the clocks and, and stops it right then. And guys were getting ETs that said they went 350, 340, 360, whatever. And it was causing some trouble. And, and they might not have known it. It's happened to us at Bristol before. It, it took us a little while before we caught it too, that that was going on, that that was the problem. So it might have done the same thing to them because I think several several pair were affected. But one particular run was uh, was involving uh, former podcast guest David Bird Jones. That's a memorable podcast too. If you want to go back on that one, <laughs> don't go back on that one. Uh, again, I've I said it before and I'll say it again. And your editing skills were absolutely on point there. You you turned uh, chicken poop into chicken salad and. Uh, it wasn't good chicken salad. It had onions in it, but it was still <laughs> edible. Um, but nonetheless, it involved David Bird Jones, and I, I can't even remember who the other competitor was. But Bird lit it red. The other competitor was like 40, and the, it clipped the clocks off at three whatever. Uh, of course, Bird and his camp demanded a rerun. Cody said, you know, if you're both green, I get it. But when there's a red light involved, I have to lean on that and say the race was over. You know, a racer could have crossed the center line or whatever. And obviously, there's other things that could happen but didn't happen. But basically, when it's one's red and one's green, the race is final. Um, and Cody stood by that. And I think that caused a little backlash from the, from the Bird Jones camp. And not a little backlash, it's a bunch. And, um, caused Cody some trouble and I'm sure there were other runs in there when that happened that caused him some trouble because anytime a racer's got a clear advantage on the starting line and that type thing happens you know they they feel like well I was going to win that and then there had to be reruns and those things were always painful for a promoter and it was uh was certainly not anything Cody could control until they figured out what was going on and I, I think he did the best he could and made good calls there but it had its share of controversy and and challenges for the promoter for sure yeah those are tough calls um and i've been at some point in my racing career I, I, i've been on every side of that maybe not necessarily from the promoter side in that specific instance but i could certainly imagine it uh, i do remember being a, a a brash punk kid at a it was an actually a national event in uh, in joliet i was like 17 years old and i literally drove 
by the tree and my opponent was still staged in super calm, right? So pretty significant starting line advantage. And the power went out before we reached the finish line. Oh. And I was so upset. I, I literally told my, my opponent when we came back for the rerun, rerun at a national event. Yes, I've done it. I told my opponent that I couldn't believe he came back for the rerun. Because, I mean, it was pretty obvious in my mind that I had won, but now with a little bit of perspective, I, I get it. Um, if, if this went down, the, the, the Bird Jones situation specifically, Jed, if this went down the way that you described it, and that makes sense to me that it's a, it's a starter reset that stops the clock early. If the only way in my mind that he could have a leg to stand on in that case, again, speaking of bird would be if there's some other timing system issue or, or thought of timing system issue that could impact reaction time. Like if, if it's generally accepted and agreed that the reaction time is true, I agree with CP's decision. Like the race is over at that point in, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I think um, that's pretty standard in our market, and um, you know, I certainly understand birds saying anything could have happened there with all that, but because they didn't know at the time what was causing it, <laughs> but hopefully after figuring out, okay, well this was this had nothing, no effect on reaction time whatsoever, and um, you know the the run should have stood. Hopefully he's he's cooled down a little bit but i don't know that that's the case but yeah no way, i mean i, I feel be, like cody made the right call there may well be more to the story or maybe it will be more to the story at least in his eyes but based on what you laid out like i, I absolutely feel like that's the right call so at any rate so a little bit of a little bit of drama a little bit of controversy um yeah everywhere so <laughs> the beat keeps on i feel like we were we were chuckling about this a little bit off air producer mark brought up you know it wasn't long ago like literally six weeks ago that so many of us were saying like, just give me six hours between rounds and an awful track prep. Like I just want to get back to the racetrack. Well, now we're back to the racetrack and that does not seem to be the consensus, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, that, we can find plenty true. to talk about and complain about, right? You're That's, all liars. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. yeah. so, and here we are. Um, yeah. <laughs> a couple of quick hitters too. I did on those were the, the big, uh, standout events from the weekend. A couple of quick ones, and then we'll get into a little bit of fun to uh, to close the show. NHRA Division Six, uh, I w not even restarted, kicked off first event of the season up in Seattle. Uh, car counts were low. I I would have to assume that that is largely a direct result of the fact that the Canadian racers cannot cross the border to come race in the United States yet. Um, I think there was 160 total cars in mm. Seattle, and my understanding is that that division. Typically, at least probably 40% of the field at most events hails from north of the border. That was not an option for those guys. So um, the only thing that really stood out to me results-wise, and uh, I'm a little bit biased because he's a friend, he's a member of the Bracket Racing Elite, but Matt Keelman just continues his domination of that facility. He won Super Street uh, at the divisional event last weekend. He also won Super Street at the national event in 2019, he uh, something happened in the final round of the divisional event in 2019 because he didn't win that. He was runner-up. Oh. And oh, by the way, uh, he also won pro eliminator at the bracket finals at the same facility. Wow. Just about, good job, Matt. Yeah, pretty much batting a thousand at least at the premier events at Seattle uh, within the last what 
16 months. So congrats, Matt Kilby. Yeah, very well done. IHRA Sportsman Spectacular came to Dragway 42. We, uh, we, we hit this, uh, promoted this on a previous episode. We thought we would follow up with the results. Huge car count. Producer Mark was there, I believe, 500-plus entries for the yeah. weekend. Uh, so pretty impressive there. Jed, you want to roll through and tell them who won? Yeah, Luke, on Saturday, the uh, junior beginner class was uh, Braden Bayer got the win over Parker Novak. Uh, junior advanced was uh, Peyton Novak. I'm assuming knows Parker well. Got the win over Roman uh, Iagongeli. Who? Iagongeli. Roman I. Yeah, yeah, Roman I. Good one. Um, junior masters was Jaden Mays over Antonio Iacongeli or Iacongeli, but. No matter what, uh, the juniors there uh, showed up big. I think it was a big car count for them and uh, impressive wins by those young racers. And um, as far as the uh, standard program um, in top, Zach Hawthorne got a win over Dave Edwards in mod. Jordan Freshour got a win over Mike Egan. Bike, we love our motorcycle listeners. Tom McGovern over Gareth Shepard. In street was Donnie Hagar. Oh, Donnie's tough one. Got the win over T.J. Jordan. And in that uh, day's juniors, junior beginner was Harper Hying over Nathan Kuhn. Advance was Dexter Gomez over Roman Ig Congeli again. And uh, Masters, junior Masters was Ava Lawson over Sarah McCoy. And Luke, uh, I would say by and large, the most um, successful from an attendance standpoint, the most successful IHRA Sportsman Spectacular just showing that, um, you know, it's a good program, number one, and the area racers there were starving for some good racing and showed up big time to uh, to the IHRA Sports and Spectacular. So uh, good for all involved. Speaking of racers showing up big time, Jed, I don't know that you and I will be on the same airwaves again prior to at least the, the beginning of the SFG 1.1 million. That's uh, less than two weeks away as we record. Given the timing, the nature of the event, obviously the unprecedented purse, this is a guaranteed purse that doubles anything anyone has ever raced for before. Uh, the consensus across Sportsman Drag Racing is that this is going to be huge with a capital H yep. in terms of obviously huge purse, also in terms of attendance in general. Last year it was huge uh, and, and it paid half as much. I believe there was... Was it over, did it crest 700? It was definitely over 600 entries. I think it got over 700. Luke, I feel like it was 811. Uh, for some reason, the number, but it might have been 711. There. It was big. I was there. It might as well have been 1,500. It was a lot, right? <laughs> yeah. And I think it promises to be bigger still. Do you have, we, we tend to do this prior to all of the big races that aren't a, aren't a pre-entry, capped entry. Care to speculate? Car count. Uh, for the 1.1. No, 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 no. Well, let's go both ways. Yeah. Largest car count of the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, largest car count of the weekend. I feel like will be, uh, 687. Okay. Uh, I feel like the 1.1 itself will get 503. I haven't even thought about the 1.1 because, um, it's it gets so skewed because you can double same car same driver and 
and at least last year there, that was the norm. Um, so I would assume that that will be the case again. I think that the, the weekend races will be bigger than your guess. I, I'm confident it will go north of 700. It wouldn't shock me if it went north of eight, 900. Um, where do I want to come in? Like I, I want to go prices right and just go $1 over years. I think I'll be right, but I, I'll try to be more accurate. I'll say 873. Holy cow. I think it's going to be insane. Uh, just again, given the, the current climate, the fact that it by and large, uh, the, the pandemic doesn't feel as though it has had a negative effect on the racing economy yet, at least. And uh, that so many racers have been cooped up for a long time. This is the one of the first big, huge races on the schedule. And it's the biggest race in history, purse-wise. Like, I just think the factors combined, it's the perfect storm. I think it's going to be insane. Um, it sounds like it. And with that in mind, like, I will say this. Given this current climate, everything that we just talked about, I, I do have concerns that I hope that this is not the case. And I certainly don't wish it upon Kyle and AJ to have to deal with it. But I think this, this all of this cheating accusation stuff, like it could come to a head there. Like it is the, we're racing for unprecedented money. Um, the, the, the people that, that's the racers that seemingly are, are pinpointed, whether rightly or wrongly, are probably going to be there. The, the atmosphere is going to be very tense. Like I could just, I could see this going very smoothly. I could also see any number of things triggering something that makes a very awkward, if not bad scene. I hope that it doesn't come to that, but I think that the foundation is set. Like I, if this were to come to a head in two weeks, it wouldn't shock me. Thoughts? Yeah, definitely the case. Uh, I agree with pretty much everything you said. I think you said you hope that Kyle and AJ or you might expect that I'm sure they're very well prepared. Yes, no, absolutely. I mean, they're, we're thinking about this. I'm sure they've been thinking about this for several yeah. weeks. I just don't know that you can be prepared for this if it spirals out of control. Like there's so many racers, there's so much money, there's so many tempers, emotions on the line. Like I just, I feel like the potential is there for a really volatile situation that would be difficult to prepare for. Yeah, as you said, the stage is there for sure. It, right. if, if something, if someone is going to do something to try to collect an insane paycheck, this is uh, this is the opportunity that they have to do it. The first opportunity this year, and you know, we've never seen money like this paid before. Uh, we've never seen a split that's going to go this deep before with uh, the kind of money that's going to get paid back. You know, it's going to be freaking great money luke way back kevin, kevin mckenna and i did this on on way back wednesday do you have a speculation for what the winner will actually take home like the check to deposit into the bank well you know i i don't like talking about everybody's numbers what my knowledge of the people that's won half a million my knowledge of what they've taken home um this is basically twice that amount of money at the top I don't think it equates exactly to, to twice what the winner, but I'd say the winner is going to bring home a quarter meal. Okay. What was your thoughts? I hope it comes in north of that. I could see it going a number of different ways, depending on who's in and how it falls and everything like that. My, my, 
my estimate would be somewhere between 350 and 400. Okay. That, or that's what I shared with Kevin. I could, I could see it. I could see missing that by quite a bit though. You, you, you may end up being more accurate. We'll see. I don't know that we'll ever necessarily know because uh, it probably won't be us, but regardless. Well, but I I think uh, I think it's going to be special, as you said. You you predicted a, a an insane number of cars. I thought I predicted a really big car count, especially considering what uh, is is happening with virus and all that. But I, Kyle and and AJ, or especially Kyle as the the owner of the series, the the promotion, he must see something special happening um, oh, yeah. from a pre-entry standpoint. It it must be looking really good. He's gone out and hired Brian Loans. Um, I don't know if you saw that news this oh, week. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah, that's, a hired, good, that's always a good call. Yeah, he's hired Brian Longs to be the, the lead announcer, which uh, there is none better. Uh, Brian is a guy that come from, you know, the level that, that I get to do it from time to time to the lead announcer on the NHRA Fox television show. Um, so the guy's obviously the best in his craft, and he will do an amazing job, but I assure you, I know what Big Jed makes to do it. I assure you, Brian ain't working for my paycheck, uh, so it's expensive to have him there. So Kyle must see something really special brewing, and um, that's probably a pretty good indication that this thing is going to be insane, as you talked about. So looking forward to it, looking forward to talking about the winners um, and, and anything else that that we get newsworthy out of that event. It's going to be cool. Yeah, for sure. Looking forward to it as well. And I guess my, my – uh my plea to the, to the racers um, going back to my, you know, concerns, whether they're validated or not is just uh, go into this with a clear head, like take a deep breath. Um, obviously be respectful of yourself, but be respectful of those around you. Like whatever, this is going to be looked at as the, the blueprint for races of this magnitude. I would like to see more races of this magnitude. So let's all, uh, let's all behave as best we can. Right think about one another a little bit um all right let's shift gears i don't we won't take up a ton of time with this one i think this is one that we'll have we'll, we'll go through relatively quickly but let's have a little bit of fun jed we've been we've been having a blast with our top fives yeah. on a, almost a weekly basis the subject for this week top five driver nicknames now ultimately i want to because you always throw out that's a top 10 name like i, I want to we might have done that at some point at some point i want to do like top five actual names because I'm sure you've got a list of like 100 that you've always said are in the top 10. So yeah, that'll be fun. But this time, it's, it's, not, it's not names directly. It's, it's nicknames. And what I, I really struggled with this because what I realized when I started going, going down through the list is like almost everybody has a nickname. A <laughs> lot of nicknames. <laughs> yes. So I, uh, I'm sure that we'll miss some good ones. I'm confident that your list will be better than mine once again, as it was no. last week. No um Start me off. Let's go. Let's go back and forth. Number five. Well, in typical fashion, um, I've got ten in my top five. Um, so <laughs> it, it's hard. How to, many are from Alabama? It's hard. Well, only um, well, only really couple that that live here, and one only one of them's from here. But hey, turning over a new leaf. I like it. Nonetheless, I will start in no particular order. This is not a five to one thing. This is because it's hard to for me to rank these. Um, I'm a big fan of Shane Carr's nickname, um, maybe because it's a, it happens to be an ingredient that I, I, I'm very in love with, and it's sugar. I mean, I've probably said sugar 8,000 times on the PA, so 
it's just fun to say it's a it, it's not common with any you don't have a bunch of sugars out there so when you say sugar everybody knows it's Shankar I think that's important for your nickname and it just I mean Shane is sugar uh, when you when you see him you don't see Shane Carr you see sugar so his name fits him well it's who he is it's who he's known by so I thought that one would definitely fit him and uh and it's one of my favorites sugar is a good one and it is it's surprisingly fun to say now that you it is. and I mean I, I like to say sugar sometimes you know yes yeah yeah you got to drop the r yeah sugar <laughs> Well played. Okay. Uh, so how many, I'll let you, I'll let you ramble. Cause I think you have several quote unquote number fives. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I've got, um, I've got three people that fit in the, in this category. I'm <laughs> okay. Brad Ford, my buddy, bad Brad Clark and my buddy, bad Brad Plourd. They're all bad Brad bad. So that was the problem with sugar. I mean, the thing about sugar is, is like, He's sugar. Nobody else. Very identifying, sugar. right? Yeah. There's a thousand bad Brads, but I identify those guys. I call all three of them bad Brad every time I see them. So that's Related just Related question. Are, are there more bad Brads than there are Race and Jasons? Oh, Luke. Uh, <laughs> I didn't even put Race and Jason on my list because it's so common. I, and we know who is King Race and Jason, but um, I'm going to say there's more bad Brads. I really, I really feel like there's more bad Brads. Hot rods? Ooh, a lot of hot rods. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a really good point there. A bunch of those. Um, so that there was three of those guys in there, and um, another one right there that I'll I'll get rid of at this point in the list is uh, Neon Leon. Leon Robertson. I don't know if it's because JJ can't announce him without saying Neon Leon, but <laughs> I don't know. It's just Neon Leon, and you, I can't just call him Leon. Every time I see him, I have to call him Neon. So. No, that's a good one. That's, that's a really good one. I like, uh, I think it's actually PJ mimicking JJ, but I cannot even see Leon now without hearing PJ in my mind from the, the Drag Race Results series in Huntsville. Every time, like seemingly at the top of his lungs, Neon Leon! <laughs> exactly. Is, perfect. You yes. have to say it that way. <laughs> So that was uh, actually five uh, names in my. Okay, well, you can do it that way. You can just have five names for five and four. Yeah, sorry, four. If you can I fill that up. That's... Hey, no. you knew better. I have no issue with that. Um, okay, so number five. I'm biased here because I'm gonna I'm gonna take credit for it. It's Johnny Bracket Racer. Yeah. He started this, Jed. Yeah. He's now JBR, and the thing about a good good nickname. Because I've thought about this, right? And, and we're both guilty of this. Cool Hand Luke, Big Jet, right? The thing about a nickname, I don't think it is necessary, and I don't think it actually happens in most cases, that you are the self-proclaimed nickname, the self-proclaimed Johnny Bracket Racer, right? But for oh. it to stick nine times out of ten, I think you have to lean into it. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Right? So, yeah, so like I, 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 didn't, I didn't call myself Cool Hand Luke. I'll give that to Brad Taylor. A lot of you know Brad, right? But I liked it. So I, I leaned into it. I would assume you have a similar story behind Big Jed. Uh, I don't think that Johnny calls himself JBR, but it, he's never like, yeah, I don't like that, right? No, to I some extent, he he's it. leaned into it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we'll take credit for it. Uh, initially, admittedly, I can't take full credit because I think I went, I went, my thought process was Johnny Atlas, right? Johnny football. So I had, I think hmm. it was Johnny Bracket Racing, 
which just doesn't have near the it doesn't roll off your tongue like no, Johnny Bracken Racer. So somewhere along the line it got adapted. I can't take full credit and it got adapted for the better, but I still love the nickname and, and take pride that I had something to do with it. So yeah, TBR number five on my list. That's a really good one. Um my next one is a guy that you know well. You've faced him and, and you've uh you've had him at your events, but just this is, I want to have this nickname. It doesn't flow for me uh, for a lot of reasons, but double O, double O David Bell. I mean, everybody just knows David. He's a foot brake racer from Arkansas. Super nice guy, very talented, but you just call him double O because he lights it up double O a lot off the bottom. And that's, that's a, not only a nickname, it's so uh, complimentary of your skills. Yes. And that's what I want. My, my nickname is, starts with big. I'm a hundred pounds lighter than my heaviest in my life, Luke. And I'm still big jet. Still Always. big jet. Yeah. Always big jet, no matter what. Bones. So who wants to, you know, I love my nickname. Believe me, I really do. And I appreciate those that, that call me that. And Billy Holloway gets credit for that way back in the, in the nineties, um, by the way. But nonetheless, who wants to have their nickname start with big? when it could be double O. So that's why I'm, I love David's nickname so much. He does it a lot and he's known, his nickname is really a testament to his skill level. So it's really cool. Yeah, that's a, that's a nickname you have to lean into. Yes. Is to your point, extremely fitting. Uh, also one like that would be fitting for Josh Ludke, Tommy Cable. There's a lot of Black & Decker tree records out there <laughs> yeah. that could be double O Cable, right? Yes. But it, it does flow so double O, David Bell, like it just rolls off the yeah, tongue. It's perfect. It okay, uh, number four. Oh, okay, this is going back to my youth. I, I teased this to you, I think, off air last week. So a little backstory. Uh, many of you may remember, it's been a year or two ago now, uh, one of our guests on the show was Thunder Valley Raceway Park uh, track manager and a very successful racer in his own right, Nick Duty. Well, uh, you may re if you remember the conversation, I grew up, uh, racing junior directors with Nick. Nick's um, grandfather, Larry Croft, ran the was the track manager at Texas Raceway and is now involved at, at Noble as well. Nick's grandfather on the other side was a racer at Texas Raceway. I don't know to this day, I do not know his first name. But down the side of his car was simply heavy duty. And I love it. I, I'm 99% I'm sure that's not on the birth certificate. So I'm going to claim it as a nickname. Heavy duty is epic. <laughs> Heavy duty. That is epic. Yes. Uh, that, that is a really cool nickname and it obviously flows really well. If I were, if I had Nick's last name and I had a son, uh, you better rest assured his name would be big, big duty. Big duty. I like that. <laughs> At least as a middle name, like you can choose to go by this if you want, son. But this this goes well. <laughs> uh, it would uh, it would definitely have to be in there somewhere. But heavy duty is a great one. That's a that's a great name. Uh, right, so my, you, do you have three for three? No, just got one for three. Okay. Uh, my next one is uh, is one we all know very well, and. You know, it's a, it's kind of a, it could be offensive, but I'm not sure you can offend this guy. Uh, he just, it seems like he, he has accepted it and enjoys it and lives it. And that's Gary Williams' nickname, 
a lot of people know him as G-Dub, but those that have been around a long time know that he is Doughboy. And, I mean, you think of Doughboy, and you think that's what you call somebody when you're getting after him. And somebody did that. Somebody named him that when they were getting after him. Somewhere and he leaned into when. it. And he just took it and just soaked it all in his clothes and his shirt and his body and said, you know what? That's who I am. Bring it. <laughs> That's who I am. And he lives it. And I love it. For, he was, for uh, years, he had the Pillsbury Doughboy stitched into his fire jacket. <laughs> yes. So, Luke, they were getting down near the final round, and uh, and he was – Obviously, they're supporting Troy, just trackside, just hanging out. And I said, you know, little brother here, he's getting after it again, about to about to do this thing. And he's like, yeah, but they just told us something that up the stakes serious. And he said, it's, it's, it's got me. We really need this win now. And I'm like, what, what's going on? He said, they just told us that uh, the candy man's giving a five-pound chocolate Hershey bar to all the winners. And he said <laughs> – that's five pound chocolate Hershey bar and I need it. And he said, so Troy's got to win this race. There's no other option. <laughs> Come on team. <laughs> so obviously Troy got it done. Doughboy got his five pound chocolate bar and, and life was good on the ride back to Florida. But that's, that's just what I love about Gary Williams. He just lives it. Uh, yeah. Like I say, for it to stick, you've got to lean into it at least to some extent. <laughs> and, and Gary, like it's, it was so perfect because like the rest of us, right. Gary's aging and, and he's fluctuated a lot in weight over the years. Like Gary's been big, Gary's been little, Gary's been big, right? But there was a time like when that stuck for me, there was a resemblance between Gary Williams and the Pillsbury, Pillsbury Doughboy. <laughs> like it was, it was a real, like you didn't, you didn't yeah. have to connect the dots far, right? Yeah. yeah, you got it. Okay. Number three. Okay. Uh, similar to your bad Brad, um, this one applies to two. And this actually, in one case, bucks my earlier stipulation number three for me is the king oh edmund richardson has never leaned into the nickname the king he is generally referred to as the king he hates that like i think we even i think he even addressed that when he came on in the podcast interview we did a year or so ago he's not a fan of the king but it sticks right like I would like to retract some greetings. I'd like to retract some greetings I've gave it, gave Edmund. <laughs> okay, <laughs> be careful with that one. <laughs> Thank the, you. The King, you should know, is also a former Golden Gloves champion. So be oh, careful yeah. where you step. I um, need that. <laughs> <laughs> but as I mentioned, similar to to your Brad, bad Brad, the King is also twofold, twofold, and the man that always did lean into it is Ronnie Davis. Oh man, yeah, Ronnie the King. I, there were times years ago before Ronnie's untimely passing where I, I would say, you know, we just need to have a runoff and decide who in fact is the king. But Edmund would concede because he doesn't want to be the king. Oh. Ronnie Davis wanted to be the king. Like he, he leaned into it. And by all means, he was. So I don't care where you want to take that. It could be Edmund. It could be Ronnie. I think they're both deserving of the moniker. One loved it. One hates it. But that's number three, the king. The King's very good, and uh, I apologize publicly to Edmund for ever calling you that, and that'll never happen again, sir. Uh, next for me, Luke, on my number two spot is uh, is a guy that definitely lives his nickname, and it's so good. And I don't, there's not another one like it. Uh, there's, I don't know anybody else with this nickname. And my good friend Phil Combs 
which is a guy from the hills of Kentucky and uh, DeMossville, Kentucky. And he's, you know, he just kind of redneck, hillbilly kind of, you know, make stuff work, great racer, hard worker. And he's referred to by all that know him as Phil Billy. So you get it. He's, his name's Phil. He's kind of hillbilly. So he's Phil Billy. And I don't know. It's just awesome. It's like, it, it just tells you everything you need to know about this guy in his nickname. Like Big Jed would tell you that I'm some big sloppy guy, which I've lived for many, many years in my life that way. <laughs> but you'd think I'm about to see some big dude. Okay. But that's not me. Uh, Phil Billy is, is that's who he is all day, every day. And it tells you, you know exactly who you're about to run into when you know, when you hear your fixing to see or run into a race or whatever phil billy absolutely phil billy leans into it and and phil billy does not need to lean into it (laughs) right then it's it's it 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 absolutely stands out you're 100 percent right that's a good one i like phil billy and and i i think he'd appreciate that as well and to your point jed because you alluded to it a couple of times the big jed thing just for those of you because you you can't see us on the podcast you 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 listen hopefully with some degree of regularity I am personally, I'm down like 40 plus pounds over the course of the last two or three years. At weigh-in, Big Jed is under me. I don't consider myself Big Luke. He's no longer Big Jed. So (laughs) congratulations on that, Big Jed. Yeah, I appreciate that. I still like to be Big Jed. (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. (laughs) Nothing. Okay, so that was your number two, right? Yeah. Phil Billy's number two. Okay, I see your list. I see where you're going. That's good. All oh, right. yeah, you got it. Okay, number two for me, uh, one of the more well-known nicknames. And again, uh, I, don't, I don't know that, that, uh, that Peter Biondo ever like completely just – I don't think the Terminator has ever been down the side of his car. Right? I mean, they did, they did create a button and named it the Terminator. He's leaned into it. He's officially leaned into it. <laughs> yeah. That's a good one, right? The Terminator. Oh, yeah. I mean, I just – I picture – I, it's like a when I play that in my mind, there is some mixture of Arnold Schwarzenegger, but with the Queen's accent. <laughs> Terminator, like I don't even know how to mix them, but it comes across clear. I think in my you head. got it. Yeah. So there's that because like how apropos, how perfect, right? Because I would imagine you run into the Terminator in a dark alley, like your odds are not good, right? It's not going to end well. Probably not. You meet up with the Terminator on the racetrack, odds are not good. It's not going to end. Same odds. Yes, and this the same cool persona of just doing the dirty work and um, it just being like another day at the office. I think yep. it fits. Terminator. I was about to say just that, that for both Terminators, it's just business as usual. It's, it's, they're, they're both programmed to just defeat you and, and kill your spirit and, and both accomplish that. So great nickname and, and great way of, uh, of laying that out for – for us to see the similarities between the two terminators okay i'm gonna i'm gonna snake it on the last one because once again i there's no doubt in my mind yours is better than mine number one for me again like it just has to fit you kind of have to lean into it you have to lean into it and at the same time similar to phil billy it, it has to fit if you didn't he's been a guest on the podcast he's one of my favorite storytellers and what I think I like even more than hearing Danny Bastianelli tell a story is hearing stories about Danny Bastianelli because it fits all the way around the Delaware destroyer. That's perfect. Like that's that awesome. The, the Delaware destroyer tops in my book because 
just Danny's one of those guys, man. A, there's nothing, there's no nickname that you could put on Danny that I'd be like, that, I, don't, I don't get it. I guess there are, but there's nothing that would, that would shock me, right? How about that? And the Delaware Destroyer, like, by the time that I got introduced to Danny, and I kind of get the impression this was his entire racing career, like, he's going way faster than that small block forward contraption that he's got was ever meant to go. And he's tearing up a bunch of stuff. So he is destroying stuff. And he's from Delaware. And there ain't many racers from Delaware. And then just the way that he lives his life, like, you got to love Danny. The Delaware Destroyer fits. It's perfect. Quick story on Danny Bastianelli because this, I don't even know how this fits into the Delaware Destroyer, but this is on Danny, right? So I'm at Bradenton for the five-day years ago you know, probably 15 years back. And for whatever reason, because this was not really my MO at the time at all, but I was out, maybe I broke something the night before and got it fixed. Like I was up before anybody, <clears throat> like driving my car through the pits. I'm, I'm assuming I was making sure or something. They, nobody was out, right? I was waking people up. And uh, in the midst of whatever thrash I had done the, the night before, the one thing that I did not think about um, before driving my car through the pits was putting fuel in my car for the warm up. And uh, Bradenton, if you've been there, like, there's parking on both sides of the track. Like, you can get a pretty good ways from your pit area during warm-up. And I was that. I was as far away from a pit area as you could get, and I ran out of fuel. And I thought, damn, right? And nobody, nobody's even up. And if they are up there, it's because I woke them up, right? Up rides Danny Bastianelli, first one on the scene, before I can even start walking back to my trailer. And he says something like, he doesn't even, it's not even something smart-ass, like, they run better with fuel in them. He just looks at me, grins, and goes, you ran out of gas, didn't you? <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir, I did. Get on here. I'll take you back to your trailer to get some. We get about halfway back to the trailer. You know what? I won't even tell nobody about this, man. <laughs> That's Danny. That's the Delaware that Destroyer. Danny. I'm outing myself, but that is absolutely, with a smile on his face, the Destroyer. All right. And what a great nickname, too. Absolutely. So don't let me take the shine off of this. Where are we going with number one? Well, I don't think mine's any better than yours because uh, that's that's who he is, and it, it does fit him very well. But you mentioned when you did Johnny Ezell that you know you kind of started that Johnny that whole Johnny Bracket Racer thing, and that's a that is a sense of pride. So naturally, I had to put number one on my list, one that that I came up with by myself, and I, it just happened in the run. We were in Vegas, and Stephanie Nass was making some good runs, and she made a really good run and cracked somebody that, you know, is, is mainstream name or something. And I said, whoa, Stephanie Nass, you know, nice run there, whatever, double O and dead three, whatever it was. And I said, we're going to have to start calling her Bustin. And I said, you get it, Stephanie Bustin Nass. And – I don't know. It just, I started getting a lot of people chiming in talking about how cool that was. And then Stephanie herself fell in love with it. Then I think her folks got that sticker and put it on the side of her car, Stephanie busting Nass. And I don't know. I just thought that was really cool. That was a cool moment to give her her nickname. And I mean, busting Nass. I mean, who don't want to have the name busting Nass? So I thought, wow, that was really cool. She embraced it. She put it on her car, which takes, you know, some kahunas because you don't always bust somebody's nass. So, <laughs> Good point. 
I thought it was a great nickname, uh, even though it was mine. I, I I wasn't saying it for that. I would have I would have loved this nickname no matter what. But the fact that I gave it to her made it even more gooder, and uh, she made my number one, and that is Stephanie Bustin Nass. Absolutely, uh, a top nickname. Absolutely fitting to be number one on the podcast, uh, just given our history. And I know, I'm pretty sure that we have hash this immediately after this this was spring fling 2019 i believe yeah i'm almost certain because i can picture where i was parked because uh i think on day one stephanie busted my ass right so i was well aware of the uh, the talent <clears throat> and i just happened to be sitting in the trailer radio on when i i believe was the round that you you stumbled into this right With, without like a it wasn't a preconceived thing and i Literally, I, I remember it well because I had to wipe up the water that I spit out of my mouth onto the, the, the cabinet area in my trailer when you first uttered the words, Stephanie Austin Nass. Good so, stuff. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. I did not know that part of it, so that makes it even better. Oh, good stuff. All right. So there's a little bit of fun, a little bit of drama, a little bit of results all wrapped into one show. As always, thank you for listening. Jed, are you ready to close this out? I am, uh, Luke. Definitely um, appreciate everybody listening. Uh, it was a great show, a lot of fun, and we want to thank the, the great folks at IHRA for helping us bring this show to you. Those Sportsman Spectaculars uh, obviously are a popular format, so make sure you get out there and, and race with those guys every time you get the opportunity, and you'll certainly uh, hear more about them um on the show here and hear about where where and when the events are and um luke i believe it's one of the most popular parts of the show and that is shout time shout time okay um shouts first off to a sun a saturday a little kelly words don't think i didn't catch that uh, <laughs> uh, shouts to dave mascara we're feeling for you buddy shouts to the corndog stand and the corndog stand operator that's awesome. I, I thought things like that only happened in uh, in Alabama, and obviously you would think. Not. Shouts to Roman I, the the successful junior dragster driver from Dragway Forty Two. Shouts to <laughs> David Bird Jones. Shouts to the Phil Billy, and uh, shouts to Biggie. Uh, you gotta be you gotta be special when you got two fitting nicknames, right? Great point. So, absolutely, Biggie slash the King slash Edwin Richardson. Uh, shouts to a couple of honorable mention nicknames that uh, could have easily made the cut, and I did not include in my top five. So shouts to High Gear Harem, and I saw I'll steal oh. one from your list, Big Jed, uh, Funny Car Chris, two, yeah. two, two golden nicknames that uh, that definitely deserve mention. Uh, and as per usual, uh, we couldn't quite get through an episode. I don't think there was any uh, million dollar words this time around, Big Jed. But shouts as always to Gooder. Gooder is one of my favorites. Thank you, Luke. I appreciate that. Uh, all right, guys. Uh, be sure to reach out to us. Just tell us you listened. If you, just nothing else, just send us a message. Say I listened. We want to know people are out there listening, and we appreciate any feedback you're willing to offer. Absolutely, both of you. If you would take the time <laughs> to do that, we would love that. Tell us what we did right, what we did wrong, what we did too much of or not enough of, whatever you go, you want to tell us, just reach out to us. You can message us right there on the uh, Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page, 
or you can uh, tweet Luke or myself right there on Twitter. He is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. I am at JP11X. We would love to hear from you. Appreciate you tuning in and sticking through all of this content. And we can't wait to talk to you again about more sportsman drag racing. Jed and I are proud to partner with Bill Taylor Enterprises. That's BTE here within the podcast. Neither of us, Jed or myself, are strangers to BTE products, services, or customer service. I've personally been using BTE transmissions and converters exclusively since 1998. Um, That's 20 years. BTE has quite literally powered every race, every championship, every round that I've won for my entire adult life. My point, they build products that I depend on. BTE builds products that Jed depends on. BTE builds products that you can depend on. Whether it's a complete top dragster or or top sportsman power glide transmission, a torque converter designed for your specific combination, or any transmission component or bolt-on item, the folks at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed in today's ultra-competitive world of sportsman drag racing. Shop online at BTE Racing. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. To make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available, subscribe. And, and, And you can do that on Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing uh, our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest uh, edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on race day. Listen up. June 26th through the 28th, IHRA will host a double Sportsman Spectacular at US 131 Motorsports Park in Martin, Michigan. $5,000 payouts in both top and modified, along with big checks, Ironman, round prizes, track points, and the ever-popular golf cart race. Those are just some of the exciting features of the US 131 event. Uh, As we mentioned in today's show, many of you, I'm sure, headed to US 131 for the SFG 1.1 million, this is essentially going to serve as a warm-up race. This is the week prior. So get in, get settled, get some track time. Uh, along with top and modified, the US 131 event will also feature junior dragsters, motorcycles, and a sportsman class. You can find all the relevant details over at IHRA.com. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors, and we bring in a host of guests 
racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is, at each event, there are 100 plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.